listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. As always, I've got a real treat for you guys and a very special guest, someone who whose name you cannot escape here in my home city of Melbourne. If you type in anything to do with music lessons, her name comes up. If you go on Facebook, she's always helping other music teachers and someone who's had a career spanning several decades and has been an entrepreneur, I believe, since the age of 18, uh, as both a music teacher, a musician, and someone who's been heavily involved in business. And that is none other than Wendy Brentnell-Wood from Wendy's Music. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Michael. Lovely to be here. It's always great to have uh, guests on this podcast and the simple fact that I can meet someone like you and and learn from your wealth of knowledge and share that with music teachers all around the world is something I'm truly grateful for. So I want to thank you for your time today and I'm looking forward to asking you some really cool questions. It's a pleasure. Just don't make them too hairy, these questions. (laughs) (laughs) Now we'll play it pretty safe here and uh, all of our fun business questions, which is primarily a music teaching podcast, but um. I'm really big into business and finances and things like that. And I think that's a really important thing you need as a musician. It's something which seems to be a consistent uh, focus or something that you've paid attention to from day one in your career. And it's obviously allowed you to move on to great success. So I know that you've written numerous books, one which we'll hopefully talk about and ask you some questions about today. You've written your own methods, your teaching programs, you coach guitar teachers, you write uh, music teachers, sorry, you um, write your own courses. For those of you of our listeners who haven't heard of you yet, can you give us a brief overview of your story so far and transition from you know maybe a musician to a business coach and entrepreneur? Sure. Um, look, I started like most people did when I went to university. I was trying to uh, cover my costs, so I started teaching friends and family, and that was just individual private teaching, going to homes, the whole shebang. And then when I graduated, I was in the classroom but continued teaching privately from home and that just grew and grew to the point that I started getting other teachers to come to my home and set up a second studio. Then we went into um, teaching in schools when I had my own children and, again, too many students for me to cope with. So there was a big demand and we started teaching in primary schools as well as the after-school market. And there was a lot of natural growth, I think, because of the demand at the time, the lack of quality music teaching around. So the fact that we were able to provide structured courses for students to learn progressively um, was a big factor. And that's something that I've always valued is the quality of the teaching that we do. And essentially being a mother as well, having private teaching, having other people working for me has been something that's been very beneficial in my life and something that's been great about music teaching, that it's got flexibility. But over time, trends have changed and we started uh, 
dealing with retail music studio spaces as well. So we moved away from teaching just in our own home or in students' homes and we put together that whole branding of the Wendy's Music uh, franchise brand and we had teachers who then really became dedicated to taking the the quality of the programs into the schools as well as um, teaching privately from their homes and having their own studios set up in a consistent quality way. Uh, and from there, we've moved again into a whole online space. So essentially, the business just keeps changing depending on what the needs are, what lifestyle I'm trying to um, generate for myself and my family. And I've been very lucky that this particular career has had flexibility to it. And I'm still in and out of classrooms and schools and you name it. <laughs> Can't help myself. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And it sounds like, you know, you have set up that lifestyle business where it's provided for you. It's something it's you've had to adapt to or you've adapted the business to your needs over time. And, you know, still going strong a couple of decades down the track. It's fantastic to see. Thank you very much. Yes, it has its moments and you do have to be mindful of what times you're working because teaching music can often be very antisocial times that you end up uh, doing most of your work. So you, you do have to be careful and not overdo it. That's probably one of my biggest failings is uh, being a bit of a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, and I know some of our listeners can probably definitely relate to that and some of them have the frustration of going, hey, I want to spend more time with my family. But the bigger I build the business, the more involved during family times after school and things like that it is. So it's one of those double-edged swords and I'd definitely like to ask you a bit more about that in a moment, but I noticed you said something about wanting a high quality structured method. So can you tell us a little bit about the methods that you've written or maybe from the perspective of a teacher and business owner, what led you to structure it a certain way and what you think the essential elements of a successful curriculum is? Well, it actually began, uh, the thought of having my own method began very, very early in my teaching career. Um, when I actually was first in the classroom as a classroom teacher, I was also the instrumental coordinator as well as still teaching privately at home. So I was responsible for teachers of all different instruments and I noticed that they were teaching differently to us piano teachers because piano is my major and the main difference I noticed was that for piano teaching, we had all of this supplementary material. We would have maybe a core method book that your, your raw beginner would start with teaching them how to read notation and some basic little tunes, but there wasn't a supplementary theory book or ear training or sight reading or composition, et cetera, et cetera, whereas there was all of these American methods out there for piano where you had so much at your fingertips that was all correlated together. So when I was teaching some woodwind students or some guitar students, I got really frustrated at the lack of, of all that support that was very, very in tune with where the students were up to. And uh, it really set my brain thinking about, I really need to write some stuff that's going to you know, give all of this uh, additional material that's so important in a, a beginning student's um, learning. And, but then it took quite a long time before I got to the point of dedicating 
many, 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 many hours to put together my own material. And that was so that our teachers could all be delivering the same sort of content, although there were lots of choices within the content, so that if a teacher left, a new teacher could come on board and know exactly what the students had previously covered in terms of the musical concepts and be able to then keep that flow going. So there was this ongoing continuity regardless of who was delivering it and it was really generated by the the components and the structure of the program. So hopefully that makes sense to you. Sorry, I actually clicked my mute on myself there. There's an interesting point that you make there. Uh, about a teacher leaving and then taking their method with them or having no continuity from one teacher to the next teacher. So I think that's something that's often overlooked and having a unity of brand and that same, um, for lack of a better term, you know, the McDonald's cheeseburger, it doesn't matter which McDonald's you go to or who makes the burger, it's always the exact same way. And when people come to expect that and then they don't get what they expect, it can uh, be really disruptive for our students. Well, it's a very big problem as a music school owner of of any sort of size that you can spend a lot of time working with your teachers and explaining what you want them to teach or how you want them to teach or what resources you want them to use. And then it's a natural progression for those teachers to move on and either develop their own music school or, you know, they change locations or they're performing. Um, career takes off or whatever. So you can't really expect uh, contract teachers or even employed teachers to be there with you forever. And so you ne- you need to actually build that into your your business of how you're going to manage that change. And the worst thing is for students to go, oh, that teacher's gone, therefore I'll look around and find somewhere else to go too. Yeah, most definitely. And I think it's one of the worst feelings you can have as a, a studio owner is when one of your employees tells you they need to quit for whatever reason. Uh, hopefully it's a good one, <laughs> like their music career is taken off, but it does happen. And obviously having a solid curriculum is one way of mitigating the training process for getting an next person in. Absolutely. I've certainly found it very, very useful. Now, another thing, if I'm trying to remember back to what you said, was just the adaptability of what you've had to do over time and how your business has changed and your t- approach to teaching has changed. So what do you think has changed in the music education industry over the last five to 10 years? Well, going back probably closer to the 10 years, I guess technology has made a huge impact on our ability to teach in different ways and different places. And COVID really brought that forefront by doing things like what we're doing now. We're online, we're having a conversation. I'm now based in central Victoria. I'm in the middle of a forest essentially and I still teach people who are hundreds of miles away and I do that every week. So online teaching really wasn't around 10 years ago and pre-COVID I was doing a little bit of online teaching. When I had students who were sick, they would, you know, they had a cold but they were still well enough to have a lesson but they didn't want to come in. So we would have the occasional online lesson. But pre-COVID, most people would say, oh, that's not as good as having a face-to-face lesson. And of course, now that's totally changed because of the convenience and 
the availability of different apps to help us teach really effectively online. So that's a really obvious change. But I, I think the the way people, uh, the availability of people, the, the timelines of when people are working and not working, we've got students who are being homeschooled these days, much more so than they used to be. So you can have lessons during the day. Uh, you've got people who are working shifts who can have lessons during the day. There's a whole different range of lifestyles out there, which means that we can teach at different times and different ways as well. That's it. And the fact that it's a global market when you're teaching online is you can find people to fit your dull times anywhere in the world. Or if you don't want to teach after school, you want to spend the time in your family, then yeah, you can find people anywhere in the world to fill out your nine to three o'clock and, and still get a full day's teaching or a full, full-time income. Yeah, it's really a matter of, of looking for the opportunities because there are certainly a whole range of different opportunities out there. I think uh, for our listeners at home, that's a writer-downer there. Look for the opportunities because wherever you can find an opportunity, it's a great way to make money while also helping other people out at the same time. Exactly. Don't get yourself stuck in a rut of it's always got to be the same way because it doesn't. Yeah, and if anything, probably you may find this as well, Wendy, is when you go against the grain and go, there's got to be a better way of doing this or breaking away from tradition, often that leads to your next breakthrough or your next success or finding a really great opportunity for yourself and your business. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with failure. A lot of us are are really uh, scared of failure or admitting to failure, of trying something and it didn't work. But that is often the thing that opens the door to a whole new idea. And when that new idea might be slightly different from what you envisaged originally and what you failed at, but what then becomes a really amazing opportunity that nobody else is is doing perhaps. So don't be scared to fail and admit to failure. It often opens the doors. Yeah. It's a fantastic lesson there that we could all learn from. And, you know, I've, I love this quote saying, smart people learn from their failures, failures. And I think that's important, but really smart people learn from other people's failures. So if other people are trying to tread water, sometimes you can go, okay, that's a bad idea. But you can always say, well, what did they do wrong? And could I improve on that? Without distracting from the, from the topic at hand, um, don't be afraid to fail if you listen to this at home. And you've heard it from someone who's been successful for 30 plus years in this industry. Um, I always tell my beginner guitar students, like, the difference between a master guitar player and a beginner is the master has failed more times than the beginner has even made attempts. And no one's made more mistakes as you as a guitar teacher in terms of your own personal practice, uh, unless you have those students who do go on to play for long periods of time or it becomes a, you know, a lifelong hobby. So just like you wouldn't be afraid to be making mistakes or failing in certain guitar scenarios, no one likes to you know make a fool of themselves on stage or really walk into a gig unprepared. But all the little mistakes you make along the way, it's all part of the process. Absolutely. I would totally agree with everything. Now, on the flip side of that, we've talked about things that maybe have changed. And, you know, COVID was the big calamity event that sort of forced a lot of people online and to make changes and adapt. And I'd definitely like to ask you a bit more about your lifestyle business shortly because you know, the idea of, you know, moving to a forest in country Victoria <laughs> sounds absolutely fantastic uh, to me. And a lot of people are making a business for the sake of setting up that lifestyle. So I want to get into that shortly. But on the flip side of what's happened uh, to change a lot in the last 10 years, what have you noticed has been really consistent throughout the whole duration of your time teaching from a musical educator's perspective? I think the thing that's consistent is the number of people 
who come to wanting to learn to play an instrument, whether it's guitar, piano, flute, whatever, who've got absolutely no understanding of the process. And part of our role as teachers right at the very start of that process is to help them understand that it's not a five-minute journey because <laughs> um, you often have those people who just immediately think, oh, yeah, I'll be a rock star within a couple of weeks. And they'll ask you that question, how long will it take me to be able to play guitar? How long will it take me to be able to play piano? And, of course, the answer is, you know, how long's a piece of string? But we need to really help people understand that it, there might be a whole series of little goals that we need to set up along the way. And the way we approach teaching those people all those little goals is really the key to success of the long longevity of having a student so that they're not going to get frustrated and disappointed that they don't feel like they've got anywhere. So it's a big part of teaching. It's not just teaching them how to practice. It's actually teaching them how to set goals and achieve things so they really feel like they're getting somewhere and enjoying it along the way. Fantastic. And would you say that the ease of access to information through YouTube or online courses or simply free articles on the internet is a good thing for students or a bad thing for students? It can be both. Um, I recently had a student who jumped onto YouTube and listened to a, a recording, a performance somebody had done of a piece that they were learning and it was totally different character to the style that it should have been because they played it at like double speed this is a classical piece of music so you know there's there's particular parameters that we're trying to work with um and when we realized that that was the problem that was fine so it you can get people who have putting their own own take on the music but we don't want to copy those necessarily we want to be aware that <laughs> not everyone's going to do it the same way or what we might call the correct way uh, but on the flip side, the the access to so much music, whether it's notated or videos or audio, has got to be beneficial to just making people enjoy more music, be more excited about more music, learn about different musical styles, um, different opportunities of what they might be able to learn, all those sorts of things. I think there's a whole lot more benefits than there are the opposite. Fantastic. And I would totally agree with that. There's so much bad content out there, but there's also so much good content. And I think a lot of guitar teachers or music teachers in general are a bit apprehensive about YouTube saying, oh yeah, it's going to ruin you or it's going to get you frustrated or whatever. But essentially it creates work for us because there's a whole bunch of people who would otherwise not have started learning guitar or music instrument, get to a certain point, teaching themselves online, get frustrated and then come to us to solve their problems or to get them out of their rut. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's like anything, like reading books, there's, you know, millions and millions of books being written, but you have to be selective about which ones you choose to read and spend time on. So you've just got to be selective on YouTube in the same sort of way. That's it. And you know, there's never been a better time to learn on your own, but at the same time, if you're learning the wrong content in the wrong order or even the right content in the wrong order, it can get definitely overwhelming. But I think kind of like what you said, overall, there's probably a positive net benefit of YouTube. And as I just said, any guitar teachers are sort of frustrated by the fact teachers, students want to learn themselves from YouTube. 
at the end of the day, they're coming to you for an experience which they can't get online or that human connection that they can't get online. In this day and age, almost anything can be accessed online by someone giving it away for free who's just as good as you, if not uh, better. So you have to make your in-person lessons, if you are teaching in person, better than what people can get offline. Otherwise, there's no incentive to keep learning with you. Absolutely. And I think the benefit of the face-to-face lessons or the, you know, the human factor is that you can individualize how you help each person and setting those goals, as I mentioned earlier, that suit that particular person at that particular moment in their learning experience is something that YouTube's never going to be able to achieve. Now on this topic, I wanted to, to build on this. I noticed on your website, you've got a number of courses. I personally haven't taken any myself, but as I was looking over the list, I was like, oh, I kind of want to get this one because they all look fantastic. Uh, one of them is about retention. So I think a lot of teachers struggle with retention. I'm definitely finding that past two years uh, since the lockdown, especially here in, uh, I'm in Melbourne, obviously south of where you are, but being locked up for pretty much 18 in the last 24 months. So many kids from being on technology all day just don't have attention spans anymore. So many adult learners are just frustrated, time poor. They want really quick results and instant gratification. What can guitar teachers and music teachers be doing to boost their attention and keep students learning with them for longer? There's a number of different sorts of strategies that I've utilized in the past. Um, Again, it comes back to that knowing your student, knowing what their goals are, knowing their ability levels, understanding what they already know and don't know. So you really need to get to, to know each student, particularly if you've got individual lessons or small group lessons, so you can work towards what is going to really excite them, what is going to keep them wanting to come back. So that's the first thing. And, and in your very first lesson with them, I would hope you'd be asking those questions about what is it that's made you come and sign up for lessons? Why are you here, essentially? And and put together some sort of a plan. And, and let them know what that plan is as well. Don't just keep it to yourself because you want to be exciting them and going, hey, look, we're halfway to that goal. So there's that sort of approach of knowing them and working towards those things. But there's also the other side, which is the bigger picture of don't just think of music lessons as being every student's going to come every week and they're going to keep edging forward a little bit more, a little bit more on, on whatever their particular skill set is. Think of bigger goals as well, and it might be that you put together programs that outside of those individualized lessons where you have a particular performance that you're going to work towards, and that involves getting everybody in your studio together, almost like putting on a musical or, you know, a rock concert or giving it some sort of different take that's going to get those students excited to do something different, to learn in a different way, to put them into a rock band that gets to play at this this rock, rock star performance or get them to do a composition that they get to then get up and perform. What Whatever musical talents you have that you know you are able to deliver, you want to give them the opportunity to experience it as well. I probably haven't explained that as succinctly as I could, but it's about giving them a broader experience and perhaps putting it into a short-term course or a short-term program that pops up once or twice a year so that they know that there's this exciting thing going to be happening later on. So I have to keep coming back to my lessons and 
you know, still keeping on with my usual stuff, but I really want to be in that rock band that's going to happen at the end of semester two, or I really want to, you know, join that that other program that's going to get me writing my own songs, whatever it might be that works in with your skill set that you can deliver that will keep coming back uh, again and again, rather than just, I teach guitar, come and learn guitar. Yes, we're going to go on and we're going to learn another song next week. So hopefully you can see the difference <laughs> in uh, that strategy to the normal guitar lesson strategy. Definitely. And I remember reading, I think, I cannot remember what I learned or where I learned this, but thinking of it like a conveyor belt system. And if people were just, I think, some reason I've got like there's a, a heavy metal band called Motley Crue and they explain the record industry as being different conveyor belts and something like the local level bands are on the bottom level. It's the biggest conveyor belt, but people fall off at some point. And then some bands go to the next level and the next level and the top level is a really small treadmill that just spins really, really fast. And that's your five seconds of fame and not many bands can stay up there for really long. But I thought about it you know, for students, you've obviously got your day-to-day guitar lessons and that might be a nine-month treadmill, it might be a two-year treadmill, it might be a five-year treadmill, but everyone's going to fall off that treadmill at some point. What you need to do is realize that as they're getting to the end, you need a conveyor belt that takes them up to the next treadmill or the next uh, platform and keeps them running. So a band program might uh, get them staying for another three months and then you either put them into a different level two of guitar or now we're going to do some songwriting. So having kind of different conveyor belts that you can have your students on and, and segue from one to the other as opposed to just giving them more of the same thing because humans, one of our essential needs is variety or change. As much as we need consistency, we also need to keep things fresh. So changing up the lesson plan probably ties into what you're saying there in offering different programs to give them that variety and something to look forward to that's out of the ordinary for them. Absolutely. And it might start really simply that you teach just one-on-one lessons and for a particular term of the year or a particular month, you actually get them to come and have a lesson with another student and play lots of duets. So that in itself, if people know it's coming, then they're going to hang around and go, oh, I'll have to give that a try. Or I did that last year and they really want to do it again. So that type of thing can start really, really simply. It doesn't have to be bigger than Ben Hur. The other thing that can be really helpful, and, and you sort of touched on that a little bit with the conveyor belt idea, and we've sort of spoken about the, the methodology and curriculums, and that's being very, very clear on if you do have a curriculum path of what that curriculum looks like and making the students aware that you're currently working in level one and by the time we get to X, Y, and Z, you'll actually have graduated to level two. That's going to look like this. And with young kids, Things, really simple things like wall charts where they see their name up there. It's like putting it in lights for them. They're five minutes of fame. Put their photo up on the wall, go, you have achieved level one. Bam, you're level two now. And they'll start to see who else in the, in the studio is at what level. And there'll be this little, little bit of competition that goes on there, sometimes within themselves, sometimes with, with others uh, or against others. And it can be sometimes just that incentive that keeps them practicing and keeps them moving forward more so than, okay, next week we're going to do a new song. Most definitely. And I think music teachers who teach outside of a classroom can sometimes forget or disassociate from the fact that so many elements like having charts on the wall, all these things which we really enjoyed as kids in our 
education, we kind of forget to do some of those things. And even the routine of what kids have in their everyday classroom, repeating some of that routine in your lessons can really help engage them and connect them. But I think that idea of having that progress chart and their name up on the wall, that's a really great idea there, Wendy. It's funny how with so much technology that anything that's a bit tactile also is really for kids at the moment, but maybe adults too. Um, but something that they can see and touch, you know, is rather than just a screen where it's there one minute, it's gone the next, nobody else knows about it. You know, everybody comes in and sees their photo or their name on the wall and it's like, that's me, you know, I've done that. Just gives them that real little boost. So it, it's definitely uh, a useful little ploy for sure. And making sure that your studio is really inspiring musically, you know, having your instruments around and having your, you know, all of your, your whether you've still got LPs or CDs or or music books, whatever it is that's musically inspiring around you is also really helpful. That's some great advice there. And I, I think this is maybe a guitar teacher thing more than um, any other genre, but I remember when I was learning, I would try and see every teacher that I could. I went and got lessons with this expert or, or this guy that taught this genre or this lady that did this. And I saw a lot of them taught from their houses and some of them had really cool studios, which were absolutely amazing to walk into and were very inspiring. And I succinctly remember one person where I had to walk through the remnants of the party the night before to get to his teaching studio. There were beer bottles everywhere and rubbish and stuff like that. And he, he just sort of maybe even forgot I was coming and I woke him up at 10 a.m. for our lesson and had to like, you know, traverse this mess, that, which um, somehow he was living in a house in that state. So I thought the first week, oh, okay, maybe he had a party. The next week, everything was exactly the same, like to the same beer bottles, the same bags of rubbish. And I was like, okay, not coming back here again. But uh, a funny story I can laugh at now, but what kind of space are you creating for your students? That's a good question you should, got, should be asking yourself. And also, how can I optimize this? How can I make it better? How can I make it more engaging for the people who are going to come and spend time with me at my studio? Absolutely. It um, shows a certain dedication to your teaching. I think if you've got an inspiring space as against four blank walls and, you know, just you. So they know that you really are excited by music if you're surrounded by all your musical paraphernalia or not. Most definitely. And one last little thing that I'll add, because I definitely want to ask you about your book coming up, is thinking back to what excited you when you were learning and what did your teacher do to inspire you, whether that was in your classroom for your whatever primary school or whether it was you know, your maths high school classroom or your guitar lessons or your music lessons. I definitely know my guitar teacher had a wall with probably $100,000 of different guitars. Not that I knew the price of them at the time, but you had a collection and you knew they were all the famous ones. This is what Jimi Hendrix uses. This is what Slash from Guns N' Roses uses. So you have that ability to put yourself in your student's shoes or your even your past student's self-shoes and go, well, this is what inspired me. How can I recreate that now? I was one of those kids who, or one of those people in general, right through teenage years as well, where I just love making music. So I was told by my parents that before I was actually talking, I would stand under the kitchen table and sing. So I was always trying to find a way of making music. So I was given instruments when I was a toddler by my grandparents, you know, a little xylophone. Um, and I begged, can I please have piano lessons? I was the youngest of four and the only one who, who stuck at it, you know. So I don't remember so much being inspired by anything particular 
in the early days other than every instrument that I found inspired me to try and make noises from. And that's probably why I picked up so many along the way and, and learnt uh, with teachers, you know, I learnt woodwind instruments and, and guitar and violin and a bit of drums and almost everything else. But I do remember in secondary school that we had uh, a quartet come and play and they played the Trout Quintet and they were members of the MSO and it was in our own music classroom. So we had these extraordinarily high quality classical musicians in this small space playing the Trout Quintet. So it was a quintet, not a quartet. <laughs> I just realised what I said before. And that absolutely blew me away. And that was probably when I was in about year 11. And so that definitely inspired me to get through that journey of, of um, at the Melbourne Conservatorium of the, the classical performances that we had to get through because I don't feel like performing it has ever been my major driver. I love to make music. I love to play music with other people, but I actually love to teach it just as much as I love to play it. I don't want to be up on stage and be a rock star or, or a concert pianist or anything like that. So being involved in playing it to me and being inspired by others who play is probably the closest answer I can give to that question. That's fantastic. And inspiration, you obviously found your inspiration through many means, whether that's your parents giving access to various instruments or seeing other great players. I think that's also something that keeps people long-term is motivation comes and goes, but often that is followed by some source of inspiration, which can get people to stick with it through the hard times. Now, you've got lots of great courses uh, online, but we've also got, uh, we had a, a spoke about a book which you've written uh, at some point last year or fairly recently. So are you able to tell us a little bit about the book that you've put together? Absolutely. It's called Music Teaching Made Profitable. And I put it together specifically for music teachers because over the last, probably about the last 10 years, roughly, I started having teachers that I've worked with in schools um, or other places or even teachers that in the past have worked in my own music schools who would approach me and ask for some help in the development of their own music schools. Uh, and so I started doing a bit of individual sort of coaching and decided that I'd try and put a lot of that information into a book and make it even more accessible to more people. So it really is my ideas of how I have worked through, and there's a lot of personal experiences that I have put in there, um, how I have worked through developing systems and my observations of how music schools will go through their journey of, of growing, expanding, sometimes changing paths, sometimes going through hard times and, and then regrowing and perhaps buying other businesses, whatever it might be. So very much about my journey, but put together in such a way that a music teacher should be able to utilize the ideas in each chapter, whether it's how to start a business, how to grow a business, um, how to systemize a business. And I put together some action plans for them so that they can actually make things happen by the time they've finished reading the book. That's the aim of it. Fantastic. And for those of you listening at home, we are going to be posting a link to 
obviously where you can connect with Wendy in terms of her website and where to get all her teaching resources. So that link will be included. Make sure you check it out after the show. And uh, we'll, we'll get back to a little bit of where you can contact Wendy later. But in, in terms of maybe giving us a teaser or a little bit of advice from that book, what are maybe some mistakes that you see a lot of guitar teachers and music teachers making when they do go out on their own? Well, it's one of those things where you can spend a lot of time working on the teaching part of your business and you can spend almost as much time working on the administration of your business without realising where that time's going. So I think you need to monitor your time management um, all the time that you're teaching and you also need to monitor the numbers. Absolutely imperative no matter where you are at in your journey as a teacher, as a music school owner, following the numbers, monitoring the numbers personally, don't, don't outsource it if you can avoid it. And by that I mean looking at things like how many hours you are achieving for how much income, uh, what your expenses are so you know what your cash flow is and you can then have the reality of, well, I'm working this many hours on teaching, I'm working this many hours on admin, but I'm actually only managing to do this much in my hourly rate when I extrapolate it all out. So the numbers, the student numbers, the hours, the income, the expenses, anything to do with the numbers is imperative to watch because it's so easy to get trapped in that that cycle of doing, 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 doing and not realising that there's actually a better way out there, which might be outsourcing some of your admin, getting some different technology to, to automate some of your processes to enable you to then go, okay, now I've got those hours freed up, I can go and market for some new, new students or I could get another teacher involved, um, I can grow my business in a different way. So monitor the numbers, that's, that's the biggest thing to watch out for. Yeah, and I think unfortunately a lot of music teachers really don't like doing maths as much as they are uh, because we're obviously creative types at heart for most of us. Uh, but it's one of those important things that if you can get organized and get the numbers, as Wendy's just said, in order, and sometimes even learn, even if either learn to love it or if you hate it, find someone else who can manage it for you. But unless you know the numbers, you can't make educated, informed decisions. Exactly. And if you really don't understand the numbers or you, you really don't like it and you do outsource it, just make sure you've got some uh, processes in place to constantly review with them. So once a month you sit down and you have a conversation with that person, you know, what are the numbers really telling me? Um, and it doesn't have to be a, a huge process that way. So don't be scared of the numbers. Fantastic. And if there was uh, one bit of advice from that book that you'd say, everyone needs to know this thing, what would that be? Trust your instincts when it comes to people. I think that's a good one. Go with your gut there. Yeah particularly when it comes to taking on teachers or taking on staff. Yeah, it only takes one bad hire. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Wendy's getting ambushed by her pet cat. <laughs> Sorry, I think I cut you off then. Yeah, when it comes to hiring staff or particularly teachers, sometimes you can get caught up in that I must get a teacher in place for this particular instrument or this particular day and 
you get really caught up in your need of what you want it to be and your instincts might be saying, I don't know if this is quite the right person but I really need to make it happen and all that that generates then is angst because if they're not the right person or the right personality or you're trying to squeeze them into a time that doesn't suit them or the distance is too far and they reluctantly say, I'll give it a try, then those things we spoke about earlier of teachers leaving and causing problems can rear their ugly head again. So if you trust your instincts about people, their personalities, whether they're, they really want the, the position, whether they're really what you want them to be, then you can find that, you know, you can get to the, the guts of, of what's really needed and not. Yep, some really, really solid advice there. And uh, anyone at home who's gone through that process of making someone who sort of matches and you've just hired them because it uh, you needed a short-term solution, you often just took a short-term problem and made it a long-term problem with amplified consequences more often than not. Exactly. So hopefully we can avoid that. And uh, by the sounds of it, if you download Wendy's book, I believe you also got a course on hiring teachers as well. Is that correct? Yes, I have. I've put together uh, a course that's got lots of uh, downloadable templates and so forth for you to use for interview questions or, you know, that type of thing as well. So in the courses, I try and make it as easy as possible for you to take in the information and then use it within your own teaching space. Fantastic. And from the perspective of a fellow content creator and someone who tries to work with guitar teachers, how do you go about identifying what the common problems are and what to create a course about or what people need help with and are interested in? Probably comes back to years and years of, of employing teachers that um, it's probably about 20 years or so ago that I started uh, putting together training systems for my teachers, again, because we were looking for consistency in not just procedures and policies, but in in the way things were presented to students and schools. So I started to write, you know, a teacher's manual and record videos and all sorts of resources for those teachers to use. Uh, and whilst doing that, I would find with feedback from teachers as we did, you know, live training, they would come up with a million questions. So essentially, I've got loads of these manuals and resources that I've put together over the years, which seem to still be incredibly relevant um, to music teaching. So I'm obviously just updating them to to the, the current situations. But I'm always happy to hear from teachers too if they have got questions. Um, they can contact me, you know, through social media or whatever, and uh, I'm more than happy to point them in the right direction. Fantastic. And where can they connect with you on social media? Quite frequently popping around Facebook. I've got a Music School Success uh, Facebook group that they're welcome to join. Um, they can ask me any questions and so forth in there. I've got some files and so forth that they get free access to as well. So that's probably the easiest way to, to contact me, either through Messenger or through the group. Fantastic. And in terms of growing your program, how did you find so many clients to work through? And, and I know you've been in the game a long time, so your reputation sort of precedes you and people know that, hey, here's Wendy, she's the lady to speak to if you need help with this. How have you gone about creating that brand around yourself and that reputation and building a client base of music teachers? 
Well, that's a really big question, Michael. <laughs> um, I think the longevity of my career, as you say, certainly has a, a big factor to play. And we have spent most of I've spent most of my married life, for sure, in the northeastern suburbs of Melbourne. So, in that particular part of Melbourne, people have seen my music schools, and and because we we had four retail studios at one point. Um, before we sold them and so forth. Uh, so there's there's that factor, that local factor for sure. But we've always had a um, an active website and that gets updated every few years uh, and obviously it gets, you know, regular attention. Um, social media, once that came into play, was has obviously been important as well. And being consistent in things, I think, makes a huge difference in and being out there, being available, being recognised um, through those different mediums as well, being consistently available makes a difference. Fantastic. And it, it's great to hear that it's been something that you've built towards over a long period of time and obviously in a lot of different areas. Uh, you seem to have risen to the top or done really, really well and just been consistent in your business, in, in the education means there. So it is really great to see people stick with it for so long or to build up four schools and then sell out of them but still continue on to some capacity in the musical education front? Well, I think like you said earlier, creative sorts, we like change, we like uh, variety Uh, and I think being an entrepreneur is really what that's all about, that you're looking for that next opportunity, looking to always improve things. Um, I've never seemed to be satisfied that everything's perfect. <laughs> There's always something that can be improved on. And, you know, lately with the, the age that we're getting to, moving out of the city and being able to work from a home base that uh, basically we're surrounded by this, the, the forest here in central Victoria is just amazingly awesome. Fantastic. And my last sort of question to bring this podcast to a wrap-up is inspired by hearing that you have moved to central Victoria and you're living in what sounds like a picturesque location in the middle of a forest. Often as younger entrepreneurs, uh, we read books about making lots of money, getting passive income to a certain point and then retiring early at whatever location. Is this something you've been able to do in terms of um, obviously have several successful businesses and then build them to the point where you're now doing this because you love it rather than you have to work? Or is it a case of potentially some entrepreneurs are sold this lie of work, 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 and then eventually have what you want at the end of it. But it's just a never-ending tunnel of of activities or you're chasing the dragon of essentially this idea of passive income or cashing out at some point. I think a lot of uh, what we see on social media in particular, um, I guess online in general, there is a misconception of how easy it is to achieve the lifestyle that we all really dream of where you're working shorter hours than the regular nine-to-fivers. So I think you have to be very careful about where you spend your time and where you spend your money. And that's where the comment of following the numbers so carefully really comes from. I've certainly been in business for, for decades, but that doesn't actually mean that it's been what I would call successful for that entire time. There have been failures and some of those failures have been spectacular in terms of financial cost or the the amount of time that 
they have, mm, I guess, taken from me in terms of having to, you know, do fixes or time wasted on things that, that didn't really create what they were supposed to. Uh, so you have to be very, very diligent in in all sorts of areas. Um, you know, when it comes to contracts and things, you need to make sure that you document things and you, you get contracts if you're going into buying a business from somebody or just even as a contract teacher, you need to be very mindful of the legalities of what you're doing. You need to make sure that you know you you aren't breaking any any laws whether it's your your council permits for for parking outside of your house when you're teaching or whatever it might be you know putting signage up you do need to be incredibly vigilant buying things online these days so many scammers out there and so many people saying do this and you'll become a millionaire it's really not as easy as they say it really takes a lot of careful consideration. There's going to be hard work in it no matter what. And you just have to be very, very careful about who you work with and what you do. Hey, that's some really, really solid advice and a really important insight to say, hey, after our 30 years of hard work or however long it's been, and sorry if I'm assuming it's it's 30 odd years. I think I just read somewhere on the website it's been a while. In terms of getting that insight to see it hasn't all been, you know, good times and sunny days. Sometimes there is some difficulty, but in retrospect, we tell the story of how good we went. We get the result when we don't often get to see the hard work that goes into it. But Wendy, it's been absolutely a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I thank you so much for your time on behalf of our listeners and the Top Music Guitar Teaching community. If you had one last little bit of advice for our listeners, what would that be? Keep making music. Fantastic. All right, guys. So we'll say thanks to Wendy for coming on another episode. We look forward to seeing you in our next edition. And we will post links to where you can check out Wendy's website, where you can find her online courses and her books, as well as her Facebook group. If you are interested in getting help in your music teaching business, Wendy is the lady to speak to. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on board. That's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Michael. All right. We'll see you in the next one. And to all our listeners, we'll see you in the next exciting episode. Thank you so much. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.